Welcome to Water of Life. We are so glad that you are joining us for a special weekend. We have a special guest who's going to be sharing with us. But before we do that, I want to say welcome. We're glad that you're with us. If you don't know me, my name is Victoria and I'm your online campus pastor. And so I'm here to share with you all the things that are happening at Water of Life. But hey, first things first, if you're new here, if this is your first time or maybe somebody invited you, we want to say welcome. And so if you can grab your phone and text the word new here to 818 818. We would love to connect with you and learn a little bit more about you. And as always, if you want to know about all the things that are happening at our church, maybe some of the ministries or ways that you can get involved, you can check us out on our website at wallupdates.com. But that's only going to be sticking around for a little bit longer. And I'm going to share a little bit more about that. So if you know anything over the past year when the pandemic was happening, we created wall updates to provide you a space for you to know all the updates that were happening at our church. But starting on Wednesday, February 10th, we are going to be moving our website back to our main domain, wateroflifecc.org. So starting on Wednesday, you can check us back out on our website. We're going to have a whole new design. It's going to be a great uh, place for you to know all the things that are happening at our church. So again, check us out on our website, wateroflifecc.org. Well, if you don't know anything about me, I am a mom. I'm a parent to my one-year-old daughter, Haven. And as much as I love this season, I am excited for her to grow up because she's gonna be a part of Wall Kids Ministry. And I love our kids ministry here at Water of Life. Not only is it a place for your kids to grow in community, but it's a place for them to grow in their faith too. And so I'm excited to share that Wall Kids is gonna be hosting a Wall Kids Campout on February 27th. Now this kids camp out is designed for our third and fourth grade students as well as their parents. And so if you are a parent to a third and fourth grader, you are invited to our kids camp out. It's going to be happening all day on February 27th from 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. And this kids camp out is again geared towards our third and fourth grade students and it is $30 per kid. But that's going to include the whole event, which is with games, crafts, food, and of course, a space for your kids to grow in their faith. And so again, we want to invite you to our kids camp out for our third and fourth graders on February 27th. So if you want to register, there's only a few days left. So make sure you do that on our website, wateroflifecc.org. So if you can tell, we believe in the next generation. We love our kids here at Water of Life. And one of our ministries in our next gen is 56. And 56 is our fifth and sixth grade ministry. And they are gonna be hosting the first ever Make It Matter event. And so if you are a parent to a fifth and sixth grader, we wanna invite you to our Make It Matter event. And that's gonna be happening on March 12th and the 13th. And it's gonna be a space for your fifth and sixth graders to grow as they listen to speakers, as they have uh, different breakout sessions with games and with foods. And all of this is gonna be happening in a safe environment here on our Fontana campus. And so again, March 12th and 13th, it is $65 per student. And if you want more information or if you wanna register your student, you can do that on our website as well, wateroflifecc.org. And so we are excited for this weekend. I hope you are too. We have a very special guest, Pastor Josh Beckley, who's gonna be joining us. He's like family here at Water of Life. And so I know it's gonna be such a treat. But before we jump into the message, we're gonna jump into worship. And so why don't you do this? Wherever you're tuning in from, wherever you're watching, why don't we just prepare our hearts for a moment that we would just clear the distractions and that we would use this space of worship to, to press into the Lord. And so Jesus, 
as we worship together, we just want to be near your presence. We want to experience your presence. And so, God, we just remove the distractions, maybe some of the things that we've been walking through this week, and we lay that at your feet. And we want to say, Jesus, you are our focus. You are the reason why we're here. And so we lift our hands wherever we're watching, and we just say, we worship you, Jesus. We love you, we worship you, and we give you all the glory and honor and praise. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, hey, why don't you join me in the worship center and let's worship together.
God, we bless your name today. We thank you, Lord, that, that you make a way out of nowhere. We're so grateful for your presence, God.
bring worship to you, Lord. We bow our hearts before you, Father. There's no God like you. Thank you that you don't leave us, forsake us, abandon us, Father, but you rush in to touch us, heal us, and bring life to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come in the house today, that you come in our hearts today, that you come in the journey today, that you'd move with power and authority through us, in us, heal us, fill us and release us today to honor you, bring life to other people this week. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And everybody said amen. Would you turn around and wave at somebody before you sit down? All right. Well, we want to welcome you if you're online, Townsville, Australia, Upland. Welcome, Upland. Any of you, wherever you're out in the world, we want to welcome you today, including here. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Just a couple of thoughts for you real quick before we jump into the Word together today. Uh, our school is open, by the way, Water of Life School is, and they're taking sign-ups, so that's a blessing. Um, if you're interested in enrolling or just looking and checking it out, you can uh, call in to the school office tomorrow. You can go online, you can check it out. So um, there's a bunch of things happening there. Also, we're gonna start a series next week on the life of Samuel out of 1 Samuel. So a lot of you are not in small groups. You need to get in a small group. I'm gonna be filming a whole bunch of small group studies tomorrow and the next couple of days. And so I wanna encourage you to go deeper and stretch out some, and uh, small group's a great place to do that. If you can really build life with other people, and some of you are like, oh, you can zoom it, you can do however you wanna do it, but get in a small group. And finally, we had a night of worship a couple of weeks ago, and a lot of you were there. It was an awesome, awesome time. We're gonna do another one on March 7th, so if you'd like to join us Sunday night, March 7th, just mark your calendars, we're gonna do another one of those. And. Um, you know, this week we lost a couple of people out of our church, which seems like every single week now we do. Um, Helen O'Rourke went to be with Jesus, and I think her service is this coming Saturday, if you knew Helen. Ike Abrego, Ike was one of those guys who was up here every weekend praying over people and school of ministry praying over people. Ike's service is tomorrow at 11 o'clock in the multipurpose room. And so, uh, man, how many of you know it's a painful time, isn't it? It's a hard time, but it's a good time. And that's why we go to church. People always say, how do you feel about that? And I said, you know how I feel about it? I feel like uh, that's why we go to church, get ready for eternity, is that right? <clears throat> so we're gonna do something special today. And uh, we have a great, you're gonna just be blessed. I mean, this, uh, I've, I've been listening to Josh preach for years and years and years, and he never, you know, swings and misses. It's one of those things I watch and I go, gosh, Josh, you always hit it out of the park, man. It's like, um, so Josh is gonna be here with it today. We're gonna talk about um, black heritage and uh, black history in America, black racism, just the whole journey. We're gonna go there today. And Josh is just gonna do a, a, an amazing, amazing job. And so before he comes up and you give him a gigantic water of life welcome, I want you to watch this little video of him and a little introduction and then Josh will be here with us.
Good morning, Water of Life. Uh, so many of you, it's so good to see you. Good to be with you today. Thank God for your faith, your journey, for your commitment to continue to be faithful to the call of God upon your life and the gospel that he has called us to live by. I am so blessed to be here today. I, I just love your pastor. You know that he is a true treasure. I have an apology to render to you this morning. I, I know Gail so well, but I called her Sue this morning. And I was thinking about Dan's administrative assistant, and I've just got the wires crossed. See, that's senior moment. That's what that is. That's, that's the gray stuff not really clicking the way it's supposed to. Uh, and so, again, publicly, I want to tell Gail, I love you. She gave me grace. She sure did. She, she reminded me of how her grandmother couldn't remember her name. So, <laughs> so I think she's trying to tell me I'm getting old, too. Uh, but I appreciate her, and I love her. Her and Dan both have been such a treasure and such a blessing in my life. And it's truly a joy to be here today. I do also, along with your pastor, want to greet those who are online and different parts of the world, those who are in Upland as well as in Townsville, Australia. As I said in the last two services, I want to remind you that I had a joy, to a blessed experience going to Australia about six years ago as I celebrated my wife's and I's 60th birthday. And so um, we were really blessed and we really enjoyed the, the country. We spent about 10 days in Sydney and Melbourne. And so that was truly, truly a blessing for us and really a joy. And so God bless you all in Australia. And I know God is protecting you as well as he's protecting us. Uh, as he said this morning, I'm here to talk uh, about the issue of racism uh, and, and, and kind of, I guess, start the discussion that I think you guys are going to have the rest of the month regarding that. And so as we get into this subject, I, I, I want to share with you what I want to talk about today. My, my topic is a simple one. I, my topic says this, it's uh, the key to dismantling racism. That's what I want to talk to you today about, the key to dismantling racism. And there's a, there's a, a, a subtitle in parentheses under that. And here, here it is, a question, it's a question. Do you love me? Get, catch, catch this, do you love me in the context of who I am. Are you with me today? And all that I bring to the table, because that's the question that all of us need to answer as we look across our, our body of Christ as a believer and the diversity of that. Do I love you because you act like me or do I love you because you are you? And that's the question we need to answer. If we're going to use the key to dismantle racism, we need to understand it requires us not loving you because you conform to me, but loving you because you are you who you are, and I love you in the context of who you are. And so we want to talk about that today. Listen, and as we do, we, we want to, listen, we, 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 this is Black History Month, as, as Pastor said, and, and as we deal with Black History this month, we'll be going through all the subjects that we always do, coming from racism to the Emancipation Proclamation to Juneteenth, going all the way up to the Civil Rights Movement, and even dealing with current events of the day with George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor. And I have to tell you that when that happened, it was, a very, it, was, it was moving and motivating to me as well. And I, I remember a conversation I had with my dad when that happened. My father's 90 years old. And we were talking about that. And here's a statement he made. He said, Josh, it feels like nothing's changed. 
And my dad is 90 years old, so he's seen all this stuff come up. And his father was uh, uh, last generation uh, part, of, part of a slavery. And my father felt like when he watched what happened to George Floyd, that nothing has changed. Listen, the fight for racial equality has been a long one for us in this uh, country as well as in the world. And listen, what I want you to understand that yet in spite of organizations that like the Black Panther Party and like the Muslims with uh, Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X and even now Louis Farrakhan, in spite of the fact that those organizations sought to lead our culture and to lead our people in the fight against racism and racial injustice, our culture historically has always turned to rely on the leadership of the pastors in the black church because the leaders of the pastors in the black church were ones that they trusted would speak in a manner and speak with the voice that they wanted to speak in order to address the issues of what we were facing in our culture and redress them in a spirit of redemption and a spirit of, 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 of cooperation and harmony. Because again, understand it, even in today, even today in the African-American community, our desire when it comes to racial equality is not about revenge, but about equality, about acceptance. We're not looking to get back at anybody. We just want to be able to receive the same level of respect and same level of, of, of understanding and same level of access that all the others in the major majority of this culture receive, black and brown. And so historically, we as pastors understand in our culture that that comes with the territory. As an African-American pastor, I understand that my responsibility is not just for the spiritual well-being of my people, but also the social and economic and civic well-being of my folks. That's why I deliberately and intentionally get involved with the city council and with the mayor and other entities that have decision-making power over what happens in our community. Because if I don't go to represent the needs of our people, nine times out of ten we are underrepresented and we don't have a voice of what happens to us and what takes place for us in our communities. And listen, as many of my brothers of the lighter you have asked me over the years, how do I mix religion and politics? I said, I don't. I really don't. It's not a matter of religious and politics to me. To me, it's a matter of the calling that God has placed upon my life as an African-American pastor, as a pastor, period. Because when I look in the book of Acts, and I see how the first century church not just affect the spiritual aspect of the community, but the social, economic, and political cities in which they found themselves in, I understand that God never intended the church to be marginalized just to deal with spirituality. But the church was, to fulfill, was, in, was left here to affect nations and affect governments and affect legisla legislation and affect laws. And if we as a church don't understand that that's our role, then we accept and we get what we get by allowing unsaved people to govern us and make decisions over us. I want you to understand, and I think it's clear, critical, that you understand that those of us who are in our communities working in the social and political areas at work, it's not to the neglect of our faith, it's to the response of our faith. 
Because we believe, and I know you do too, and you should, but we believe that Jesus' mission statement is what drives us. And Jesus' mission statement is found uh, when he went into the synagogue at the beginning of his earthly ministry and he opened the book of Isaiah and he read a passage out of Isaiah which Luke, the Gospel of Luke, records in chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said is his mission. Jesus said, this is my mission. This is why I'm here. He said, the Spirit of the Lord has appointed, has, has, is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Not just to those economically poor, but to those who are spiritually poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, those who have been hurt, those who have been abused, those who have been uh, uh, marginalized, those who have been ostracized, those who have been rejected, those who have not been accepted. To preach, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, to those who are in bondage, not only do prison ministry, but to those who are involved in emotional bondage and psychological bondage and spiritual bondage. He said, I've come to proclaim liberty to those who are in bondage. And then he said, to recover sight for the blind. Not only those who are spiritually blind, but even those who are physically blind. And then he said, and I set at liberty those who are oppressed and to preach the acceptance year Lord the church's responsibility is to stand up for those who are oppressed who are marginalized who are disenfranchised who don't have a voice for themselves and that's what Jesus said he came to do hallelujah <laughs> you know that, that encouraged me y'all can get another half hour out of that one no I'm just kidding um but that's what Jesus came to do. And that, I believe, is the mission of the church. That when we see these issues in our culture, in our community, it ought not be just the legislators who say something. The church should rise up and say something. And those of us who are in those communities are in the church. Are you conscious to help you know when it's time to rise up and when it's time not to? Listen, I haven't often shared my testimony when I've come here, and I've come here for literally over 10 years now, I think. But today, I was pressed just to give you a little insight of me. I've, I'm the oldest of eight kids. Uh, there's eight of us in my family. I have four brothers and three sisters, so there's eight of us. Um, come from a parent family that were laborers. My father worked for... Caterpillar Tractor Company. My mother was a, a nurse's aide. My father's educational background was junior college, and my mother graduated from eighth grade. Grew up with a family who was very strongly religious, and over the years as we grew up, we, we, we couldn't co any, do anything on Sunday unless we went to church. Uh, that was our household. When my brothers and sisters understood that you had to go to Sunday school if you wanted to go to movies in the afternoon, you want to go out and play baseball, you want to go hang out with your friends, you want to go to the public pool in the evening, and on Sunday, you better have gone to church Sunday morning. <laughs> if you talk about you didn't want to, you're too sick or you don't want to, then you were in, in the house all day long. Contrary to today's kids, we wanted to go outside. <laughs> kids today want to stay inside on them devices. We wanted to go outside. The punishment was to stay in the house. 
That was the boring part. And so I'm the oldest of eight. But in my lifetime, I've seen in so many different ways and experienced racism. I remember my first encounter with racism was I was 10 years old. Uh, my family takes an annual vacation to Mississippi to visit my father's parents and my mother's parents. They live in a place called, my father's parents live in a place called Pontiac, Mississippi. I can't tell you where that is. I just tell you it's just outside Tupelo, okay, Mississippi. And then my mom was from Hattiesburg. I didn't know till later the reason why my mom would pack a, a basket full of cold chicken and, and, and bread and juice and water and would have enough in there for all of us to eat on the trip, and they would take pop bottles with us along the way. I didn't know why we did that until I got older. Then I found out later the reason was that we couldn't stop at any grocery stores or restaurants along the way and, we, and go to any bathrooms along the way. So my mom had to make for the nine-hour ride or 12-hour drive, there was enough food in the car for eight of us, and then when we had to go to the bathroom, we pulled aside a roll, and for the boys, we had to use the pop bottles to use the bathroom. And then they would empty those when we got to grandmama's house. So those are some of the things I didn't even realize were the indirect influences in my life regarding racism. But I will never, never forget that this one summer when we went there, my mom and dad had to wash clothes. And we asked our grandparents, he asked my grandfather where they went to wash clothes. We was in a town called Tupelo. So we went to Tupelo and went to the laundromat. And so when we got to the laundromat, me, my dad, and three, uh, my two, uh, two of my brothers, we went to the front door, the laundromat got to go in, and a big, tall, black, white, this tall, white guy stood up in front of the door and said, y'all can't come in here. Y'all go around back. So dad didn't give no resistance, understood that's where he grew up. We went to around the back. And so as we began to walk to the back of this laundromat, we, we left the sidewalk and stepped on wooden planks that led us all the way back to the back. And these wooden planks were sitting in about an inch of uh, water and was mud all the way to the back of the laundromat. As we turned the corner, there was an opening door, and we went into the door, and inside this room, sitting on mud and water, were uh, 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 washers and dryers where the African black folks in the city went to wash their clothes because they couldn't go in the front door. I'd never forget the look on my father's face. And we turned around and we got back in the car and he drove back to my grandfather's farm. He dropped us off at the farm. He left. He went to Sears Roebuck in Tupelo. He bought a washer and a dryer. He came back to the house and me, him, and my brothers installed a washer and dryer on the back porch of my grandparents' home because I think my dad was more offended, not because he got turned away from the laundromat, but to think that his parents washed clothes in that laundromat on those muddy floors once a week. He was not going to go back home thinking in his mind that that's what his parents were doing. That was one of my, that's still as vivid in my thinking as, as I stand here before you today. And so understand, when, when, when those kind of things happened to me, they created a passion in me to want to know what do I need to do to make it better, not only for me and my children, but for my people and my culture. How do we get to a place where people stop looking at us for what we look like and looking, for, uh, looking at us for who we are? And so I understand my brothers and sisters, there's a lot of work to be done in our country and in our culture regarding racism, and, and, and there's a lot of work to do. But I am of the belief 
that our legal, governmental, and worldly system is ill-equipped to deal with racism constructively and redemptively. I don't believe our government is going to deal with systematic racism, systemic racism. I don't believe our government will be able to dismantle it or even get rid of it because, first of all, I don't think they have the will to, I don't think they have the want to, nor do they have the spiritual capacity to do it in the first place because the bottom line is that they cannot do what God has given us to do without the presence or the power or the Spirit of God. So you cannot expect unsaved people to act saved. I think that's the problem we've had in our, especially as a church, we keep expecting unsaved people to do saved stuff. And they have no capacity, no will, no power, no spirit in them to do it. But I do expect saved people to act saved. And God has given us as saved people, I believe, a responsibility. That I believe if racism is going to be dismantled in our country and in the world, it's because the church is going to be the instigator of it and the model of it. Because I believe that's what God left us here to do. Why? Because he has told us when he left us here, he gave us a ministry. You know what that ministry is called? Reconciliation. That's our ministry. I think we've we pigeonholed it to only deal with inside the church. But the Bible reminds us in the text that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Meaning that if Jesus was reaching the world, we should be reaching the world. And we reach the world not only by preaching reconciliation, by demonstrating reconciliation. The text says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. There needs to be a recreation taking place in a man or woman's heart in order for them to really apply and practice the ministry of reconciliation. You and I who have accepted Jesus are recreation. We are new creations, not recreations. We are new creations. God is the only one who takes something old and make it new, make it brand new. You're not renovated, you're not reconstituted, and you're not remodeled. You're brand new. Are you with me today? You are a brand new creation. And because we are, God there leaves us with a responsibility and an expectation that as that reconciliation has made us new, we are to demonstrate that reconciliation to a world and then give them the opportunity to be made new as well. So the Bible tells us that God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And as the Bible has told us that God has given us a ministry of reconciliation, this reconciliation is, is not only just spiritual, but it's social. And it's, and it's cultural. And it's racial, racial. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says this. He says, for he himself has, is our peace and has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. You understand the context in which Paul was making this statement. Paul was addressing the animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he was helping them understand that now that the Gentiles were saved and being brought into the body and that the Jews were saved and being brought into the body, that now there was peace between them because of Jesus. That there should be no more animosity, there should be no more segregation and, 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 and prejudice, there's no more separation and division because now that they are in Christ, Christ has made both one by taking down, tearing down the wall of separation that was put up by their flesh, by their, by their selfishness, by the devil, and by the things of the world that made them look at each other as being different rather than as being one in Christ. Christ is the one that can bring peace, and Christ is the one that can bring reconciliation if we really live out what it means to be who Christ calls us to be. Paul goes on in Galatians 3 addressing these issues in verse 28 when he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, but we are all one in Christ. Did you get that? I, I think, check, check this out. Paul addresses racism in this text. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Paul addresses classism in this text. There's neither bond nor free. Bond nor free, economically. You're bond or free, you're not a slave, and you're not a, you're not a slave owner when it comes to Christ. And then he deals with sexism in the text. There's neither male nor female. Because he wants, wants us to understand that now we are in Christ, we are all one in Christ. And listen, body of believers, we've got to believe what God is telling us and begin to practice what God is teaching us. Because he reminds us again through, the, through Luke in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, when he makes this statement, he says, and he has made from one blood every nation of man to dwell upon the face of the earth. He has made from one blood, one blood. Just in case you know where the, one, the blood of Adam, we are all descendants of that first man, Adam. God has made from one blood. You and I have the same blood. If I were able to take off my skin when I came into this place, you wouldn't know what I was. Amen. Because under the skin, we are all the same. Because he made from one blood all men to dwell upon the nations of the earth. So there's a scripture reference that I want to focus on in these last few minutes that I'm going to be with you to address the subtitle question that, that I brought to you this morning. Do you love me? John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. You if you've been in church any length of time, you've, you've heard that, you've read that. Some of you have probably memorized this verse. And it says in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And verse 35 says this, and by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. By this... All will know that you are my disciples. By this, all will know 
that you are my disciples. By what? If you have love. If you have love. Because it's still a choice, even though God requires it, it's still a choice. If you have love, one toward another. Amen? And so, Andrew Murray makes this statement. He said, she, uh, matter of fact, so the question that we're answering is, do you love me? Do, 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 you, do you love me? Do you love me in the context of who I am? Listen, this command that, that God gives us here as a new one is a command that has been stated and implied throughout the Bible. Beginning in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17 through 18, the Bible says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. He said, you shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin against him. You shall not take a, take a vengeance and nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But then he goes on in that last part that says, but you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, for I am the Lord. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. You shall love me in all of who I am like you love your. There's no qualifiers there. You shall love me like you love my, yourself if. He don't say that. Because. He just says, if you want to know how to love me, your neighbor, the ones who don't look like me, love them like you love your self. Go on. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, 9, 10 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves fulfills the law. Then he goes on and makes this statement, for the commandments are these, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, and you shall not covet. I said, if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. You shall love your neighbor. As you, in other words, what he's saying, you ain't got to worry about all these other commandments. What you need to do is love one another the way I love you, then you won't commit adultery. You won't sleep with my wife. If you love me, you won't murder me. If you love me, you won't steal from me. If you love me, you won't lie on me. If you love me, you won't be jealous and you won't want what I have. If you love me the way God tells me to love me, you ain't got to worry about whether you're keeping all the other commandments because you won't do anything to me that you won't have, won't have done to you. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22 makes a very powerful statement. It says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love for the Lord. Stop right there. The Bible tells me how my soul is purified. Did you catch that? Peter makes a statement. He says, since you have purified your soul. So, Peter, how have I purified my soul? By obeying the Word of God through the Spirit of God by sincere love for the brethren. So it implies that if, if my soul is going to be pure, it's pure because I genuinely love the brothers, those who call themselves believers, those who I see in my family, those who I know have accepted Christ as their Savior. I, my soul is pure because I love them like the Bible tells me to, like I love myself. Then he goes on and says, and love each other fervently. Your pastor points this out in, uh, in his comments. And I thought it was so powerful. The Greek word is ektenos, and it literally means to love continuously. It means to love with intent. 
intensity, and it also means to stretch out. I kept trying to think. Stretch out. It means that when I find that what you do may make me uncomfortable, I'm still going to love you anyway. That I'm going to stretch out and do what the Bible says about you, believe the best. And continue to trust. And if I don't understand, I'm going to stand with you. But when we get by ourselves, I'm going to find out what it is that I don't understand so I can continue to stand with you. But I'm going to stretch out. I'm not going to run from you because it doesn't look good for me or it might affect my relationship or it might hinder my, uh, my, 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 my friendship with other people. I, I'm going to love you to the degree that even when it's uncomfortable for me, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stand with you because that's what God's called me to do when he talks about loving you fervently. John 3 comes along and says, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. And by this love, because we, he laid down his life for us, we ought to also to lay down our lives for the brethren. The question that I'm asking you this morning is a simple one. Do you love me? Do you love me in the context of who I am? Do you care about me like you care about yourself? Andrew Murray makes a statement about this love. He said, this love is not merely a happy feeling. It's an active principle, and it, and it takes pleasure in doing the will of God. That love is not just lip service. Love requires you to show up and stand up from time to time. Love is not just something you say and then let it get by, but love requires every once in a while you show yourself, and you demonstrate yourself, and you prove yourself. You, you help me understand that your love is not just accolades and words, but your love is genuine action that you're willing to put in the shoe leather and make real in my life, especially when I need you and I need you to stand with me. So, and it delights in doing the will of God. So listen, there are three things in this text that I, that I want to bring out before I close. And it's John chapter 13 text. Because this, these three things will help you with the key that I'm giving you. And that key, you already got it, right? The key is love. This is the key. This is the key for dismantling racism. This is the key for destroying racism and ridding racism in our world. But it has to begin with us in the church first. Amen? And so there are three things this text tells us about what we need to do in terms of, first of all, when it comes to this issue of loving me, when it comes to the issue of loving others, we need to first of all recognize that it's a command from God. Recognize his command. That God has commanded us to love. It's an imperative, meaning that it's non-negotiable. Meaning that you can't rationalize how you're going to love or who you're going to love or when you're going to love. That you are going to love the way God commands you to love and you're going to love in a manner that God regards requires. He's not asking you to love people the way you love them. He's asked you to love them the way he does. Now understand, and I mentioned this last night, understand, he's not asking you to love from your feelings. Are you with me? Because God ain't asking you to feel this love. I want to make that clear. God's not asking you to feel this because people are saying, well, how can I love it if I don't feel it? God ain't asking you to feel it at all because God already understands how your feelings work. And your feelings don't always line up with God's commands. Are you with me today? 
So God's not asking you to feel this. God's asking you to obey this. And how he's asking you to obey this, he's asking you to obey this in the power and the person of his Holy Spirit in you. Are you with me today? Because listen, when the Holy Spirit is in you, the Bible says the Holy Spirit produces characteristics through you. And the first characteristic that the Holy Spirit produces in you, we call it the fruit. And the first one is love. So God expects you to love through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we understand that everything we do through the Holy Ghost is not by feeling, but by faith. Because that's what he called me to live by. The just shall live by faith. Four times in the Bible. The just shall live by, without it, it's impossible to please him. So God ain't relying on you to love. He's relying on you to get out of the way and let him love through you. That means you need to humble yourself. That means you need to surrender. That means you need to give up your will and give up your way and let God have his way in you and through you. You got to stop saying it's hard. Yeah, it's hard for you, but it ain't hard for God. Because you don't know how hard that is. Well, then get out the way. I got people in my life I have a tough time loving. That's because you trying to love them. But when you get out the way and let God's Holy Ghost do what he is sent to do, I guarantee you before you know it, you'll feel it. Oh, yeah, you will. I used to have a youth pastor used to tell me, Josh, when you have a struggle with obeying the word, this is what you remember. Do what is right because it's it right till it feels right. <laughs> when I struggle with certain things and doing, he said, hey, Josh, this is what you do. If the word is right, yes, then do what's right. And keep doing what's right till it feels right. Because when you keep doing what's right, eventually your feelings are going to catch up. Because your feelings ain't based on the word. Your feeling is based on you. But if you do what's right because it's based on the word, your feelings will show up. And next thing you know, you don't even know why you love them, but you love them. But you got to recognize it's a command from God. The second thing you need to realize that you need to respond like Christ. If it's a command that's imperative, the response is about imitating. It's imitative. He, here's Christ. Christ says, he says, here, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And here's, here's the response. Here are how I'm supposed to love you. Like I have loved you, so are you to love one another. Are you with me today? So I'm to love you like Christ loves me and like I love myself. So how does Christ love me? Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse, first, first chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So he tells me to love you like he loves me. Yeah, I missed that one. Okay. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Bible says God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you and I. Then he gives me the command to love you like he loves me. Are you with me? One more time. Right here in the middle. Y'all going to get it now. Y'all got this one. Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates 
his love towards you and I, that while we were yet sinners, while we were denying him, while we were rejecting him, while we were blaspheming against him, while we were telling him he didn't exist, while we were saying we didn't have, want to have anything to do with us, he loved me enough to die for me, so therefore I'm to love you like he loves me. No qualifier. When they brought the woman who was in adultery to Jesus and threw her at his feet and asked him and said that the law of Moses says because she was caught in the act of adultery, she should be stoned to death. What do you say? You know the story. Jesus didn't say nothing. He began to write in the dirt. You know, one of the things I love about this is, I always put my interpretation, one thing I did, not, not, I did notice that he didn't do he didn't jump up and say, whose fault was it? He didn't jump up and say, what's her doctrinal affiliation? He didn't jump up and say, yeah, well, well, what church she go to? He didn't even jump up and say, is she saved or not? He responded to her based on her need and he loved her in spite of herself to give her what she needed. And you know the story. Everybody walked away. Nobody was there. And Jesus looked at him and he said, where are your accusers? She said, I don't know. They're gone. He said, well then, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. And she became one of the women that followed him and stood at the cross when he died. Love them like Christ. That's the response. So therefore, if I'm going to use this key, I need to understand, I can't, I got to start trying to renegotiate the command and start doing what he tells me to do. Second of all, as I begin to do what he tells me to do, he's gave me a model. The way he loves me is the way I'm supposed to love my other brothers and sisters, regardless of what they look like to me or how they act around me. And then finally, finally, in the text, you got to get this. The third thing that this text teaches us is that we need to realize as we do this that God has a consequence that he's expecting. Are you with me today? Listen, if the command is imperative, if the response is imitative, then the realization of the consequence is instructive. Because God intends for someone to be instructed by the way we obey his word. See, God is expecting a consequence to come as you and I do what he commands us to do with one another. That God is expecting that as we do what his word commands us to do, that there's going to be a definite reaction from the world that is looking in, watching us obey his command. And the reaction that God wants is what the reaction that God expects is what he wants. And it's going to come as you and I obey his word. Now, you got to know that the world is not going to be impressed with how many buildings that you build. The world is not going to be impressed with how many homeless feet people you house. The world's not going to be impressed with how many hungry people you feed, how many folks you win on the evangelistic outreach, how many people you send overseas. But Jesus said, that is not how the world's going to identify you as mine. He said, the way the world is going to identify you as mine is by the way you love one another. 
That's the consequence God expects because God expects a world who may not hear my gospel will respond when he sees my gospel. A world that's heart may be hard to my gospel will be softened as he sees my gospel. How is it that black, white, brown, red, yellow, and green get in church and they love each other the way they do? They show up for black folks like they show up for white folks. They show up for Mexicans like they show up for the Asians. No matter what that church needs, those folks show up for them. Makes no difference what community they live in, what neighborhood they're in, where they come from. Because they are a part of that church and because they obey the command of loving, they show up for those folks. Listen, I don't know about you. That don't happen to me out here. It's a dog-eat-dog world. I do his best to get ahead. But when it comes to the church, the world ought to see the presence of Christ in us by the way we love and care for one another. Do you love me? <laughs> in the context of who I am and all that I bring to the table, do you love me? Because listen, I've tried to give you a key. And listen, and it's a key that you can carry around with you. You can keep it in your pocket. And you can show it to folks and let them know you got a key. But understand, it doesn't really become effective till you use it. I can have a key to a Porsche all day long unless I stick it in a Porsche car. It ain't going to do me no good. You can have this key of love and claim that you love everybody. But until you put it into action, you put it into practice, it will not have the effect in your life or in the world that God intends for it to have until we start practicing what we preach. I love you guys. I praise God for being here with you today. I only desire to come to give you something that's redemptive and give you something that will make us begin to be more authentic in who God has called us to be and be more real and brave and encouraged and courageous in doing what he's called us to do. Father, I pray your blessings upon my brothers and sisters today. I pray you strengthen them. I pray you encourage them. I pray you bless them. I pray that as they've heard this word today, not only has it inspired and motivated their hearts and their spirits, but it, it, it's removed shackles and, of fear and doubt and, uh, 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 and hesitation. It's take, taken away hindrances that they now know that they have a, a way to love others and they know how simple it is by simply wanting to love others like they love themselves and like the way you love them. Father, thank you for the way you love us. Ha, we wouldn't be where we are without your love. Bless us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you know, I met Josh 30 years ago, over 30 years ago now, almost 35 years ago, and we were in elementary school together. I'm joking. <laughs> No, we were, we were in uh, seminary and um, going to Bible school, and 
One of the things that, that impacted me right away about Josh was his commitment to the kingdom of God, to the word of God. And I, I never thought about it until later that his commitment to the heart of Jesus made him really safe for me as a person because I knew that I could always trust that he would do the right thing according to what God wanted him to do, not what he wanted to do or other people wanted him to do. And, you know, over the years, that's been my experience with Joshua is that he's always um, kept his word, always done the right things. And um, one of the things that, that's impacted me so much when I am with somebody like Josh or other African-American friends that I have, over the years I, I figured out something. It took me a while as a white guy to figure this out, but every time I went into a black person's home or into South Central, into somebody's house, I, had, I got shocked a little bit because the culture was so different than my culture and that what I was used to in my home. It was just very different. And, and something, it took a while for the light to go on, but that text that he was reading out of 1 Peter, where Peter uses that little word, ekteno, stretch out, be fervent, be passionate and loving people, that, that word really paints this picture that you're gonna crash into times, no matter what race you are, you're gonna crash into times with other cultures and races that are uncomfortable for you. Now, I've experienced this in Cambodia, Thailand, you know, Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, South America, Cuba, wherever you travel to, friends, if you go to do ministry, you figure out something really quick. Other people have other kinds of culture and you don't feel as comfortable in that culture as you do in your own. Is that right? That's just how this world goes. And that's how God made us. But one of the things that God asks you to do is to stretch out of your comfort zone into somebody else's. And it took me a long time to figure this out as a white guy, but black people get up in America and they have to do this every single day. They get up in a black home and journey into a white world every day. So every day they get used to, at some level, uncomfortably stretching into a place that isn't exactly like they're used to. And if God is gonna use you as a white, Asian, Latin person, in a black person's life, you gotta figure this out. You gotta stretch out. It's gonna, it's gonna challenge your culture, it's gonna challenge your safety zone, but you've got to go into their culture, not just ask them to come into your culture. And that's part of the journey for all of us, friends, whether you're doing missions, outreach around the world, whatever you wanna call it. If you're gonna touch other people, you've gotta get out of your safety zone and move into theirs. Do you understand this? And if you're not willing to do that, you really don't love Josh for who he is. You love him for who you, you want him to be, but not who he is. If you're gonna love him for who he is or some other African-American or Asian or Latin or Caucasian or whatever person they are, you gotta go into their world. And you gotta go into their world at a place that makes you sometimes uncomfortable. But that's what shows that you really do love that person. Do you understand that? That's so important. That's so important for you. Stand with me, would you? Father, I wanna thank you for Josh. Thank you for his heart for the king and the kingdom. Thank you for the, the lesson he just taught us, God. Thank you for the things that you want, Holy Spirit, to impart to us today. And I pray for us that we would be teachable, whatever culture we're from, whatever our home feels like or looks like, God, that we would understand that loving people 
like you love us, means that we have to get out of our comfort zone. You did that for us. Philippians chapter two tells us you stepped out of heaven onto the earth, out of fully God to become fully man so that you could touch us and love us the way that you want us to love each other. So we ask you, Father, move in us, break down those dividing walls, and teach us your heart in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. If you need prayer, there's people to pray for you to my left. God bless you, have a great week. God bless. Well, what a powerful message by Pastor Josh Beckley. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling challenged and encouraged and thinking about ways that maybe I can show the love of God to people around me. And so, like I always say, the messages that we hear shouldn't just be information, right? It should be transformation in our hearts, things that we take from the message and apply it to our daily life. And so, while we do that, I have a couple questions for you, things that I would love for you to reflect and respond on. And so, if you have your phone or if you wanna take a screenshot, we wanna ask you these questions. And so, maybe the first thing that you can reflect on, right? Ask God to show you how you can love others different than yourself. And so as you reflect on that, maybe you can respond this week. So think of one way, think of one practical way you can share the love of God this week with someone who maybe doesn't look like you, right? Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe you can bring somebody a meal, or maybe you can pay for the Starbucks from the person behind you, right, in the line. What, what is one way we can practically share the love of God? I would challenge to com for you to commit to doing one practical act this week to share the love of God with someone. And so we're other than that, we're glad that you joined us. As always, if you need prayer, we have pastors online who would love to pray for you. But other than that, we love you. We hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next weekend.